0: Welcome to Preceptive Practice, CE Impact's podcast created specifically for preceptors of pharmacy learners. So whose job is it to teach risk management principles to pharmacy learners? We know they have to take a law course as part of their curricular requirements, but how much does that mean to them until they're in real-life situations as part of their IPPEs, APPEs, or residency? As preceptors, it's important that we not only recognize and manage the legal risks of welcoming pharmacy learners within our pharmacy practice, but also that we are prepared to teach practical concepts such as risk management in addition to developing those clinical skills. I had the privilege to talk with David Brushwood, a well-known pharmacy law expert within the pharmacy education community, David's been a terrific partner of ours, developing countless courses for pharmacists and pharmacy technicians in the areas of regulatory compliance, risk management, and pharmacy case law. I asked him to sit down with me and unpack the issues preceptors may face from a liability standpoint when precepting students, as well as talk about the importance of teaching and modeling good risk management strategies for their pharmacy learners. Let's listen in. Well, David, thank you so much for being here today with me. I really appreciate you taking time to talk through this really important topic for preceptors and ultimately for our pharmacy learners. Um, I know we've been working together on a course for preceptors, and I think this is a great segue um, to chat a little bit about why this, why this issue of risk management and precepting is so important. If it's okay with you, I thought we could start by having you just describe risk management as a healthcare responsibility? We'll just kind of lay the groundwork here for the rest of our discussion.
1: Well, well, sure. Uh, you know, there are a lot of threats of legal liability that exist in pharmacy practice today, and they are growing as the practice of pharmacy grows into more responsible clinical care activities. I view risk management as a way to create a safety zone for pharmacy practice. Basically, it's carving out a secure place to be when there's a storm of dangerous activity happening. It's like a warm blankie on a cold day. Sometimes people sometimes complain about liability and they say, let's do something to reduce the threat of legal liability. Well, yeah, they're right. And risk management is that thing. right?
0: Yeah, it's really about setting up the guardrails and operating within processes that, you know, are safe and, and practical and all of those things. Would you say that risk management and patient safety are essentially the same concerns, or how, how do those two
1: concepts relate? Sure, they're similar, but, but there are some differences. Patient safety is about creating systems that promote positive outcomes from patient care. It's about avoiding harm to patients. It's a clinical administrative activity and it's directed by a clinician. Risk management is a business activity. It's about protecting individuals and institutions from catastrophic financial losses that can threaten the viability of a patient care practice. It's directed by an attorney and it's driven to benefit the business enterprise rather than the patients at the business.
0: Hmm. Okay, that makes that makes sense to me. So, risk management is to business as patient safety is to care. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, and they can work together. They it it is possible for them to work together. Usually, the goals are the same, but not always. I mean, sometimes risk management says to clinicians, to patient safety people who are trying to investigate a error that may have happened and who want to really dig down and find out why risk management might say, whoa, whoa, whoa! wait a minute here. Let's slow down. Let's do this in a way that we make sure is consistent with our business goals as well as our patient care goals. Patient care is a business. I mean, we can't ignore the reality that the only way you can provide effective patient care is by remaining in business. If you go out of business, you can't provide very much patient care.
0: Right, right, exactly, so true. Um, so that's kind of the rub, isn't it? When those two things maybe conflict sometimes or, or maybe aren't perfectly aligned. So, you know, when we're teaching kids to drive, we talk about being defensive drivers, right? I've taught three kids to drive. Well, to be fair, my husband has because I don't have the patience for it. But we have, you teaching your kids to drive and you talk about them being a defensive driver. So does that analogy play out here? Um, You know, is it possible for pharmacy risk management to produce defensive pharmacy practice um, similar to like how we might talk about defensive medicine?
1: Yeah, it, it does happen. And, and I understand it. I appreciate it. It's unfortunate. I hear pharmacists sometimes say I'm not doing that because it's my liability. And It breaks my heart to hear that because what i'd like them to be saying is i'm not doing that because it isn't good for the patient not that it isn't good for them but some pharmacists say i'm just not going to dispense opioids anymore and it's self-protective for them it's defensive pharmacy in the sense that they want to do that to keep themselves whole but it's going to hurt patients some pharmacists say this compounding this is just too risky And I'm not going to do it because if I make a mistake, I could be liable. Well, they're right. They could be liable, but patients need their medicine. And sometimes compounding is necessary. So yeah, defensive practice is too bad in pharmacy because we have alternative ways of having risk management systems that allow pharmacists to go under the limb a little bit, but do it in a safe way. Right.
0: Right. Really balance our Professional responsibility, um, and and make you know reasonable decisions, and understanding that the risks and benefits uh, you know of that decision, right?
1: Yeah, risks and benefits for the patients, and risks and benefits for them as well. It, it's okay to take a risk as long as it's a measured risk, an intelligent risk, a risk for which there's likely to be a benefit, an investment that will have a return. If you're so conservative that you don't want to take any chance of being held liable, then you really need to find something other than pharmacy to do, because we just have to take some risks in the pharmacy profession.
0: Right. Well, I promise we're going to get to pharmacy learners here in a bit, but I think there's uh-huh. some other questions, you know, that will help sort of lay the groundwork for that conversation. Um, regulatory compliance. Regulatory compliance. What's the difference between that and you know the concept of risk management?
1: Yeah, really important for you to ask that. Regulatory compliance is a very important activity that incurs within institutions, within community pharmacy practice, institutional pharmacy practice. And the goal there is to comply with the statutes and regulations that are promulgated and enforced by the DEA, the FDA, the state boards of pharmacy to not get in trouble with them. Risk management The idea is to comply with the standard of care of a reasonable and prudent pharmacist so as not to be held liable for harm to a patient and have to pay them money. Now, the overlap is that oftentimes the violation of a statute or regulation serves as the foundation for not having met the standard of care. So they're related to each other, but there are differences between them.
0: So practically speaking, I'm guessing that there are certain practice activities and you know certain drugs that tend to sort of be the hot spot or the, the areas that trip pharmacists up more frequently. So could you talk a little bit, let's talk about drugs first. So what, what are some of the drugs that are most frequently associated with pharmacist malpractice liability?
1: Yeah, I have a, a database that I can search and I am just curious about that very question to figure out well what are the hot spots and i can pose questions to the database what i am seeing within this database for which there's a bit of a lag it it doesn't uh mm. it's not always up to date mm-hmm. but the bottom line is that it used to be in community pharmacy the drug that was most frequently litigated was warfarin that no longer is the case now it's methotrexate these are useful drugs, they're very effective drugs, but they can be very harmful when an error is made with them. And it's not so much, I think that they're more prone to error, they're just more prone to harming somebody seriously when there is an error. And in institutional practice, the drug that we used to see most frequently in litigation was gentamicin, and now it's amiodarone. It's just, this is another, very effective, there's nothing wrong with these drugs. It's just that they have to be used in a very particular way, and when there's an error with them, they're more likely to harm a patient than with some of the less risky drugs.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this morning when we were talking with a group of students, you referenced the a tramadol error um, also. Would that oh, fall yeah. into this category? It yeah.
1: would. I mean, the yes. Uh, the... A error that is frequently made is a confusion between tramadol and Toradol. Two drugs, both of them analgesics, but very different kinds of analgesics. Uh, tramadol is a generic name. Toradol is a trade name. And yet they get confused because one of them, Toradol, is an NSAID. Sometimes the uh, Allergic reaction is not noticed because it's thought that and there was actually a, a doctor in um, Illinois who was prescribing and pharmacists were trying to convince him that Toradol was a uh, NSAID and he was prescribing it for NSAID allergic patients and he insisted that it was not and everyone was wondering what is the confusion here only to discover that he The prescriber was confusing Tramadol and Toradol, and the explanations he was giving were for Tramadol and not for Toradol. So there have been a number of lawsuits involving that level of that type of confusion between two very different but similarly named drugs.
0: Mm -hmm. It's funny that that came up today because I was actually just even... Prior to our conversation with the with the students today, was talking to another pharmacist, and it came up that you know students often aren't as familiar with um, trade trade names or brand names as they are with generic names, and that confusion can come you know particularly for students just because of that lack of experience with brand names. You know all of their courses have been you know discussed in terms of generic. So I thought that was interesting this morning.
1: Oh, that's an excellent point. And patients don't know uh, generic names. So you have these two groups of people, pharmacy students and patients talking past each other, because one of them is using the trade name and the other is using the generic name. And they don't necessarily realize that they're talking about the same thing. Once pharmacists get into practice, they tend to be more familiar with trade names and can more effectively communicate with patients.
0: Right, right. Well, what about um, pharmacy practice activities, which, you know, are there particular areas that offer the greatest risk exposure um, for error and, and issues?
1: Yeah, there's there's good news and bad news here. <laughs> um, well, no, in a way it's all bad news, but. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, well, <laughs> okay, let's, let's have it. <laughs> the,
1: the vast majority of lawsuits against pharmacists today are based on dispensing errors. Wrong drug, wrong strength, wrong directions, wrong patient. And the good news of that is this literally is not rocket science. This is some something we can figure out that we can do something with. This, this, this is a skill set that can be dealt with. What is happening, though, is that as a percent of lawsuits against pharmacists, intellectual errors are increasing, and that's going to be much more difficult Mm -hmm. to deal with. We have basically two kinds of intellectual errors. One is the secondary responsibility intellectual error, where a pharmacist is supposed to counsel a patient to discover anything that the prescriber may not have known or may not have said to the patient pharmacist has a prospective drug use review responsibility to screen for problems with the prescription. This is all secondary stuff where primarily the prescriber is supposed to have been doing this stuff, but the pharmacist is a safety valve to make sure that it was done right. And pharmacists often do that correctly, sometimes not. This other type of expanded pharmacy practice liability is for primary responsibilities, like Test and treat or independent prescribing, and you don't have anybody else to blame or share responsibility with. We see this coming. It isn't happening yet, this body of litigation, but it's coming. And it's up to us in the risk management community to develop strategies to make sure that clinicians understand what it is that they, they can do to reduce their exposure to liability. Fortunately, we have a model, medical malpractice. We can look over at a vast volume of material that medical practitioners, prescribers, have developed for themselves about risk management strategies, and we can borrow from them some of the better ideas that they have about how this can be done in pharmacy practice. So we'll do it. We just need to get going on it because I'm concerned that pharmacy practice will be out in front of risk management, and that will be an unfortunate thing to have happen.
0: Yeah, is that, um, is there a much discussion about that? I mean, that makes total sense to me as we're expanding practice and, you know, prescribing and dispensing contraceptives and, you know, doing all of these new things, which we've wanted for years and years, but I haven't been hearing a lot of that conversation. is it happening
1: i haven't heard it either although there is and this this gets a bit into the weeds but it's a fun thing for me to talk about anyway there is a movie uh my wife and i are film buffs and there's a movie 20 feet from stardom it is about the backup Uh, singers
0: yeah it's a great movie did you see it yeah yeah Mm-hmm. And
1: it, and how reluctant they are. And even Bruce, Str- Bruce Springsteen, the boss, says, boy, those 20 feet are hard 20 feet to walk. Being out in front, being the one, being the guy. I see that among pharmacists right now. I see some of them saying, I don't mind being the backup. Mm-hmm. I don't mind having secondary responsibility because getting out there and having primary responsibility, being the person responsible, that carries with it a lot of liability for failure. And I don't want to risk that that will happen. And my, my advice is, go ahead. We can figure out how to make that a safe place for you to be. We, we can carve out systems of risk management that will protect you from unnecessary liability. So go ahead, step up to the front, be the lead singer, don't be the backup for the rest of your career. Some of them will do that. Others, I, I get it. Others are very, pharmacy is a very comfortable profession for a lot of people and they don't want to step up. And I get that. But for those who do, not to worry, we can help you not do this in a too risky way.
0: Right, yeah. Well, there's that message of hope and positivity. See, it's not all bad news, right?
1: (laughs) Well, it's not all bad news. I mean, well, in in discussing it with you, I'm feeling better actually. I do have a few fears that the uh, expansions in pharmacy practice will be done without necessarily considering risk management issues. And that would be unfortunate because the doctors got themselves in a bind and had to uh, go to the legislature, state legislatures, and enact some malpractice reform measures that actually kept them in business. I don't want pharmacists to have to do that. I don't want pharmacists to have this malpractice crisis Mm -hmm. that our medical colleagues had, and for us to have to solve that problem as they had to solve their problem of the malpractice crisis. Let's just not have that crisis to begin with, Rather than solving it once it happens.
0: Yeah, we need to learn from our neighbors for sure. Right. <laughs> um, maybe quickly, and I, maybe this isn't a quick question, but you know, reducing malpractice liability. You know, what are some maybe key pearls, takeaways, strategies that you know we can keep in mind?
1: Oh, sure. Well, there are a lot of them, but I can summarize them and give you the Cliff's notes on it. Uh, First of all, make sure your technicians are properly trained and appropriately supervised. Many pharmacy errors began as technician errors that weren't caught by pharmacists who weren't supervising or who didn't assure that the technician understood her or his role. Mm -hmm. Make sure your computer system is up to date and provides alerts to the potential problems that have been identified recently and isn't a two-year-old system that doesn't help you in the way computers can. Computers are marvelous things when they're updated. They're less than helpful when they're not. Engage in meaningful dialogue with patients. Engage in meaningful dialogue with other healthcare professionals. I mean, th- this is the way conversation is the way to avoid these errors that occur due to miscommunication. People say, oh, it's all miscommunication. Well, did you initiate a conversation? No, I didn't do that. Well, that's why you miscommunicated because you didn't initiate a conversation. And then document. We're really getting into a dangerous area here with lack of pharmacy documentation where allegations against pharmacists are, you didn't do this. And I'm convinced oftentimes they did. The pharmacist (laughs) did the thing that they are alleged not to have done, but it disappeared. It's not enduring. Nobody remembers it. So document what you do and then conduct continuous quality improvement. Every time there's an error, do a diagnostic of it. Do some failure mode effects analysis or other means of trying to figure out why did this happen? And this can be a judgmental error. It can be a technical error, whatever it is. Try to figure out what can we do in the future? So that we won't have this happen again, or at least reduce the likelihood that this will happen again.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a couple of things that you talked about that you know clicked for me, particularly for students. And I know we'll talk about this here in a little bit, but um, you know, appropriate <clears throat> supervision and making sure technicians and students know their role, right? Know know what's expected of them and know what their role in the pharmacy is as as an experiential learner. Um, and, well, let me and, speak to that
1: just for a minute, sure, Kathy, because sure. I really appreciate you bringing that up. That's so important, particularly today, I think, when so many of our pharmacy students who are licensed as pharmacist interns are also pharmacy technicians mm-hmm. and licensed as pharmacy technicians and don't necessarily understand the difference between their pharmacy technician hat and their pharmacist intern slash student hat. They're both, they both require supervision, but of a very different kind. Right, yeah,
0: yeah, that's a great, That I think that's a really important uh, thing to call out because students are flipping their hats throughout their entire education because they're working at, you know, the pharmacy and then they're going on either IPPEs or particularly their APPEs, you know, where their responsibilities would look different. So um, you talked a little bit about responding to errors, you know, by, you know, doing some root cause analysis, you know, making sure you understand why the error happened and putting places and um, processes in place to prevent them in the future. Is there anything else pharmacists need to be doing at a high level as far as error response?
1: Well, I think that first notification that an error has happened is an important one to react to with humility, with honesty, with openness. When a pharmacist makes a mistake, somebody's going to point that out, whether that's Mm a colleague, uh, a pharmacist, or another healthcare professional colleague, or whether it is a patient, or whether it is a family member of the patient. And it's important not to overreact to that, to get defensive, to deny, to Mm -hmm. obfuscate. It's sort of a natural reaction sometimes to be very defensive when somebody accuses you of having made a mistake. So we need to try to figure out what went wrong and why, to involve ourselves as those who are erring human beings, and to accept responsibility but only if there is responsibility. It's I've seen the opposite among pharmacists sometimes, who just want to accept all responsibility and then make it go away. They think if I just admit to everything, even the things I didn't do, then that'll solve this whole problem and it'll go away and it doesn't go away. Right. And that this isn't something that's going to go away. It's going to take time. And you just have to talk through. And investigate what it was that happened. The only thing I would add is if someone, another health professional, as I said, or a family member of the patient comes to the pharmacist with a report of error and says, I'm going to sue you, the conversation's over. If mm-hmm. this is a threat of litigation, it needs to go to risk management. That's above the pharmacist's pay grade at that point. hmm that's mm-hmm. for the lawyers to deal with. Don't make their job harder by trying to rationalize something when somebody's threatening to sue you. That is a that is a risk management challenge and not a pharmacist clinical practitioner challenge at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all of the things that you're describing the ac- accepting responsibility with humility, accepting the appropriate amount of responsibility you know, figuring out why the why the error happened and and figuring out how to make it not happen again. That's such important modeling for students who, you know, come into their rotation or into their residency afraid to make a mistake. And, you know, when, when mistakes happen, you know, hopefully they're they're minor, and they're an opportunity for learning, right? Um, we, I've I got the opportunity to have a conversation with uh, uh, Michael Rupp a few um, episodes back, actually, and he developed a course for us called "Developing a Philosophy of Failure," and you know, embracing the opportunity to make to, to make mistakes, and and then using those, you know, as an opportunity to learn. And, and only the preceptor really can demonstrate that in the in the practice setting for, for learners. And I think that that's an important responsibility of theirs. So.
1: Yes, I admire my fellow Ken's and Mike Rupp and the work he has done. I hope that he and I don't focus too much on failure because uh, <laughs> uh, he certainly has been successful. And I hope some of the things I've done have been successful as well, but
0: <laughs> right. I get right. it. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, we we want to balance on the other side of the scale for sure, right. but. <laughs> um, another thing that comes up quite often, I know in conversations with students is um, individual malpractice insurance. So, you know, is that something that employed pharmacists should maintain for themselves?
1: I think they probably should. It's not very expensive. The benefits are significant. You get 24-7 coverage. I think pharmacy students, this is my view, pharmacy students who are on their Ippies and Appies should have malpractice insurance. It's very inexpensive. And I think they should pay for it themselves because this is a lesson in how you get what you paid for. The criticism of individual malpractice insurance is that it invites litigation that if you have insurance, then the plaintiff's lawyer is going to say, oh boy, here's somebody else I need to sue. I just don't think that is the student or the pharmacist's problem. I think that's the insurance company's problem. They know how to deal with that. Let them manage it. But insurance is really a matter of individual choice. It's a matter of what sort of risk you want to take in your life. Should I have more health insurance? Should I have more life insurance? Should I have more liability, motorist liability insurance? That's just something that some people say yes, I should, and others say no, I shouldn't, and it's a matter of individual choice.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and all the personality and professional assessments I've taken, I'm a very, I'm very low in the in the risk <laughs> <laughs> in the risk taking category. So yeah, I, I'm I would be an insurance buyer.
1: Yeah, well, many people are, others are not. And that's just, it's it's not a matter of law. It's a matter of individual preference and lifestyle and decision making and so forth.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Um, Well, let's shift gears and talk more specifically about um, experiential experiential learners, um, IPPE students, APPE students, and really even, you know, pharmacy residents in some cases. You know, there's so many positives of teaching and mentoring learners, but, you know, as with anything, I'm sure there's risk there as well. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what kinds of exposure, you know, comes up during experiential learning? Sure. And maybe maybe a little bit about why you think that is.
1: Well, students are enthusiastic, they're learning, and we want to encourage enthusiasm. We want to encourage exploration. They are used to an environment in which they are invited to make mistakes. The classroom, the didactic classroom. Mm -hmm. No theoretical patient who was theoretically killed by a pharmacist in a theoretical classroom exercise ever sued them for it. I mean, no theoretical, magnificent, remarkable recovery was ever recognized as anything that a pharmacy student was responsible for in the classroom either but when you move from the classroom the didactic setting into the experiential setting then you have some real problems that you need to deal with and you need real effective approaches to managing them and sometimes pharmacists pharmacy students don't make that transition correctly uh, it just it just occurred to me that uh, i remember we had and Well, I it doesn't matter what institution I was affiliated with at the time. I've been affiliated with four, and it just really doesn't matter. But there was a student who went out on, a, on, a, on an appy, and there was a serious error that occurred that that student had been part of. And plaintiff's lawyers sue everybody. They really don't know who's responsible. Right. Until they get into investigating it. So, the safe thing for them to do is to sue everyone, and they sued this student. Fortunately, we were able to approach the plaintiff's attorney and say, you know, this is just a student. Maybe you didn't know that. And the case was dismissed. But then I talked with a student, and the student said to me, I got in there, and boy, I'll tell you, that place was scary. It was just a mess. I had no idea that pharmacy was practiced that way. And I thought, this is a mistake waiting to happen. And I said, why didn't you talk to your preceptor about that? Why didn't you go to your experiential learning director? That person wants to know this sort of thing. You could have been removed from from that place and put somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And the student didn't realize that that was something that could have happened. So that's something we need to do. The experiential learning directors need to make sure students realize if you see something, say something. Yeah. You don't have to stay there if you're uncomfortable being there. If this is an error waiting to happen and you might get involved in that error, we need to get you out of there. Right. But I, I mean this, as you say, as you said before, it's a matter of error in role and a matter of error of role an error of role is doing something that you shouldn't be doing that isn't within the scope of authority of a pharmacy technician, for example, or a pharmacist intern. And that's their legal uh, status by the board of pharmacy, just going beyond what it is without supervision, without allowing the preceptor to supervise them in a way they need to be supervised and sometimes pharmacy technicians think well I needed to be supervised in that technician role but in the intern slash student role I have a great deal more freedom to escape my supervision and I think I'll take advantage of that freedom it's a mistake when that happens Mm -hmm. you might be interested in the types of things I, I will tell you that the type of the situation some examples of liability that um students have been exposed to well primarily it's confidentiality right breach of confidentiality this just seems like such a theoretical ethical principle and ethics seems sometimes to students to be just this touchy-feely without teeth concept Mm -hmm. well we know it has teeth and you can hurt people this idea that Sticks and stones may may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's wrong. Obviously, words can hurt people and hurt them deeply. And sometimes when things are spoken by a pharmacy student based on what they learned during their hippies or appies, it can harm a patient. And the pharmacy and the student will be responsible for it. And the academic institution isn't going to say, oh, well, that's okay. You didn't know. There's going to be some disciplinary action. Right. Against the student for that. So compounding errors. We've seen a number of cases where students in a IP or API experience have made compounding errors. It's really difficult for a preceptor to visualize everything that a student is doing at all times. And there have been these errors that have been made. As you said before, the trade name, generic name, confusion, Happens Mm -hmm. frequently during experiential learning. One thing that is definitely within the control of pharmacy students is this rising tide I've seen lately that I don't really understand. Maybe somebody can help me understand it, but of disparaging comments being made by a pharmacy student or insulting or disrespectful comments being made about prescribers Mm -hmm. about, I mean, this drug could kill you. A pharmacy student said that in trying to make a point that the way this medication was prescribed is potentially harmful to you. But saying it that way is offensive to the patient. It's offensive to the prescriber. Pharmacy students just need to figure out better ways. I'm not saying a pharmacist wouldn't say that. Pharmacists would and have.
0: Right, right. Than
1: something like that. But mm-hmm. that's an incautious way of speaking. Even if it's true, it doesn't matter. We just don't say things like that mm-hmm. to patients or to other healthcare professionals.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great examples. And, you know, certainly in my own experience and experiential learning, we saw all those things, you know, happen <laughs> at various levels. And, you know, one thing too, I think on the conf- you're talking about the confidential confidentiality issue. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, too, if our, our learners now are they're used to satisfying their curiosity immediately by, you know, a Google search on whatever it is they're curious about or, you know, their answers are available to them at the push of a button. And I think I wonder if that hasn't led sometimes to to this impulsivity of looking at records that don't need to be looked at, you know, um, somebody you know reasonably well known in a community is you know taken to the hospital and you know a student is curious and and looks at their you know at their at their record um you know we've seen those kinds of things happen too so those those kinds of reminders um for learners I think are never too frequent anyway well you you talked about some examples, and all of that makes you know, perfect sense to me that those are some, you know, of the risk areas, you know, with students. So, talk a little bit, David, about, you know, teaching risk management during experiential learning. You know, what's the preceptor's role here in, you know, in, in helping, st- you know, students or pharmacy learners be good risk managers?
1: Well, sure. Preceptors are much more likely to understand risk management than our classroom instructors. So they're gonna be the best ones to show by example. Risk management is a skill that can be learned. It can be taught just like compounding or pharmacokinetics, It's, it's a skill. And it's just a matter of taking the time to teach it because most pharmacy students haven't learned it. We don't teach it, perhaps we should, but we just tend not to teach it in the classroom. Experiential learning provides the opportunity to show how important risk management is. And in most healthcare settings, organized healthcare settings, there is a department of risk management that students who are in their appies particularly can have some sort of exposure to, maybe spend a day with them, spend half a day with them and find out what is it that risk management does? We just don't have... That resource available within the didactic portion of the curriculum. So there's a huge opportunity to show by doing and then to introduce pharmacy students to the people who actually have this core responsibility and can help pharmacists develop this necessary skill that will give them the encouragement to move forward and do it in a safe way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe not just showing by doing, but also Talking about the why behind the doing, you know, the the reason for the process or the reason for the steps that are being taken, and and yeah, really focusing on the why. So, so we're, we talk about you know teaching, you know, some of those risk management skills. What about strategies for preceptors? Um, you know, what can they do, or what should they do, maybe differently when they're working with students um, to mitigate their own liability? You know, versus versus an, you know, a regular employee.
1: Oh, sure. Well, um, there is exposure to liability of the preceptor and of the academic institution mm-hmm. when a pharmacy student makes a mistake. And it it's uh it goes beyond just the mistake itself. It, a pharmacy student making a mistake can expose the community pharmacy or the hospital to liability and it can create fiction. It can create friction. The If a pharmacy student makes a mistake, it can expose the community pharmacy or the hospital to liability. And that can create friction between the academic institution and the practice site, even to the point that the practice site may say, we don't want your students anymore if you're not going to prepare them any better than this. So we really need to adopt some specific strategies to try to make sure that We don't put pharmacy students in the position where they'd make a mistake, because uh, just think of what it it has happened, that pharmacy students have made errors that have resulted in significant harm, even in one case I can think of, death, of a patient. What a terrible thing to put a pharmacy student through, not supervising them well enough that they would make an error of this kind. Mm -hmm. I mean, We need to be more responsible, more proactive, and not have that happening. It starts with supervision constant access to supervision. I don't mean a preceptor has to be looking over a student's shoulder every minute of every hour of every day, but there has to be constant access. And pharmacy students have to be secure knowing that they're not going to be chastised when they ask the same question for the 20th time by a preceptor who. Sighs deeply as if boy, this is a dumb thing for you to have asked me. I mean, there are literally, well, no, there are such things as dumb questions, but that's fine. That's ask away. <laughs> ask me as many dumb questions right. as you want. I am not going to berate you because you asked me the same question 20 times and you're just having a tough time learning it. It's my responsibility to teach it to you. It's your responsibility to learn, but my responsibility to teach. Clarify the role. We've talked about that clarify the role of an intern. You're not a mini pharmacist. And if somebody mistakes you for a pharmacist, this can happen within a experiential learning situation. A, a nurse or a patient or a physician can become confused for whatever reason and mistake a pharmacy intern for a pharmacist. That needs to be clarified immediately. Oh, you, I, I think you feel I'm a pharmacist. I'm not. Uh, I'm a pharmacy intern. I'm a pharmacy student. I can get a pharmacist for you right away and then be available. Stressed regulatory compliance. Those little nitpicky laws that are learned within the pharmacy law class, they can be the foundation for a malpractice liability case. So make sure that those are followed. Probably above all else, protect patient privacy. Confidentiality is not just something that's a nice Concept confidentiality is a legal mandate. We have to make sure that patients aren't harmed in their psyche by a breach of confidentiality. Focus on high alert medications from the ISMP Institute for Safe Medication Practices. There is a direct correlation between litigation and the list of medications, some of them in the community setting and some of them in the institutional setting that Mike Cohen and his group at Institute for Safe Medication Practices have identified as high alert. So focus on those, take special care, focus on patients that are particularly vulnerable, patients that are critically ill, the elderly and the pediatric patients, pay special attention to them. Just let pharmacy students know you're responsible for them. They are relying on you and you need to be as cautious as you can be. Yeah,
0: that, that all makes so much sense, David. One thing that was coming to my mind, too, is, you know, I think a, I think a challenge in this area for preceptors is that they have learners coming in for short periods of time and then, you know, back out back out the door to the next site or, you know, wherever. And so, you know, they're going through this process over and over and over again. And it's not like this, you know, the students is an employee where they have a good sense of that person's self-awareness, their skill set, you know, you know, where they are from a performance level. And all of that has to be reevaluated every time an, a student, you know, walks in the door. Um, so I've heard preceptors talk about, you know, having a good strategy for doing some assessment early on with the student to know kind of where they are at a skill level, at a knowledge level, and also at a self-awareness level. Cause when you talk about, you know, a student knowing their roles and knowing their limitations, that is also so important. Um, and, you know, and just setting those clear expectations so that, you know, students are less likely to make assumptions, you know, about what they can and cannot do without appropriate supervision.
1: Good point. Yes.
0: All right. Well, this has been very helpful. Super meaningful and uh, really connected to some of the additional education that we have planned for preceptors. So, thank you so much um, for taking time to talk with me about it. I know you're passionate about it, and I'm becoming more passionate too. Although you said there are no dumb questions, and I know I've asked you some dumb questions before. So,
1: well, there are dumb questions, I ask them all the time. The thing is, today's dumb question becomes tomorrow's brilliant insight, happens all the time. I mean, there you it just you go. yeah.
0: All right. And with that, I will
1: wrap us up. Thanks again, David. Okay. Thank you, Kathy.
0: Well, there you have it. I have to say that after every conversation with David, there's a part of me that is a little bit frightened, but I always learn so much each time we talk. It's clear to me that as preceptors, we are uniquely positioned to teach our learners the importance of risk management, as well as practical strategies for avoiding liability while ensuring patient safety and excellent care. If you're interested in learning more about risk management, regulatory compliance, and professional responsibility, please check out a slew of law courses on our website. For starters, we've got an even deeper dive into today's topic. Check out the link in our show notes to enroll and take the course for CE. Are you a pharmacist in charge? If so, we have a full boot bootcamp that you shouldn't miss. This course offers a deep dive into the important responsibilities undertaken by any pharmacist who accepts the position of PIC and it will help you further understand the areas where you should focus your teaching for your pharmacy learners. We even have certificates in risk management for IPPE students, APPE students, and residents. Check out the show notes for details. And if you're looking for other hot topics for preceptors in general, check out our website for a full library of resources in addition to this podcast. Just ask your experiential program staff if they're members. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next month on Precept to Practice.